Kia ora, I'm Erica Wilkinson, and this is the Doc Sounds of Science podcast. Kia ora, ko Erica Wilkinson tēnei. He konai i pirangi tēnei e pa ana ki ngā Sounds of Science. Every episode, we talk about work being done behind the scenes by Doc's technical experts, scientists, rangers, and the experts in between. Today on the show, we have Holly Gabrielson, Technical Advisor at the Department of Conservation, who specializes in volcanology. Holly provides advice on volcanic matters, unrest, risk, and eruptions. Kia ora, Holly. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tēnā koe, Erika. Uh, o tira ki a tātou, te hunga e whakarongo ana ki tēnei uh, punua pauho. Uh, ko tongariro te maunga, ko taupunui atia te moana, ko ngāti tūwhare toa te iwi, ko te heuheu te tangata, ko Holly Gabrielson tōku ingoa. Uh, kia ora Erika, um, kia ora everyone who's listening to this today. Uh, my name's Holly, I hail from Ngāti Tūwhare Toa. Kia ora. Kia ora Holly, haere mai, welcome to the show. As you know, ko Erika tēnei, kei te papa atawhaia hou e mahi ana. So we have to start here with a simple question that's actually sneaky, hard question in disguise. What is a volcano? So a volcano is where magma erupts at the surface in its most basic form and forms a volcano. So can you tell us about the three types of volcano? Yes, I can. So I'll start with the volcanoes in Tongariro National Park. So those volcanoes are shield volcanoes or stratovolcanoes and they are formed over many hundreds of thousands of years and are formed from volcanic deposits such as ash and lava and they're basically just layered and layered on top of each other through eruptions and then I'll fast forward to calderas because I grew up in Taupo if people aren't aware Lake Taupo is a caldera calderas are formed um through really infrequent but violent eruptions where the majority of the magma chamber that sits beneath the volcano is expelled to the surface and because there's no more body within the mountain, uh, the mountain collapses in on itself and creates a crater that eventually fills up with water. And we have a number of caldera volcanoes um, right from Lake Taupo through Turuturua. So volcanic fields is another example of a type of volcano and more commonly known in Auckland, but there are also volcanic fields in Northland as well. And so a volcanic field is just an area or a location where uh, volcanoes can be formed. Um, And what's quite unique about a volcano field is that uh, a, a volcano was formed through one eruption and then that's that for that volcano. So in Auckland, there might be roughly 50, approximately 50 volcanoes that have, yeah, occurred in Auckland. So so if I live in Tamaki Makoto, could I wake up one morning and accidentally suddenly see that there's a volcano next to me that wasn't there yesterday? Yeah, I think that's a very good question and a very real question that possibly many Aucklanders would be asking it's a very low probability for an eruption to occur in Auckland, but that's not to say that at some point in the future, whether that's within our lifetime or, you know, hundreds of, mm-hmm. hundreds of years into the future. Now, I know your Papa is really central to your work. Holly, can you tell us about your role at Te Papa Artify, the Department of Conservation? 
My main role at Te Papa Atawhai is to provide technical advice to decision makers on all things pertaining to our volcanoes, particularly in Tongariro National Park. Now, Tongariro is an important place for you in your work. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, I guess for us as Māori, we link directly to a mountain. And so for me as someone from Ngāti Tūwharetua, uh, the first line I utter in my pepeha is Kotungarero Te Maunga. And so that directly uh, centres me in a geographical location and it tells you that I am linked through Whakapapa to my mountain. And so it's really cool to have a role with the department that actively uh, works alongside and intimately with my maunga. I guess for me as a wahine Māori, that centres me as a person in our environment. So the creation story that we uh, link to really shows the origins of where people fit into the world. And for me, because I whakapapa directly to the volcanoes in Central North Island, it really helps to centre me as a person in my role um, with Te Papa Atawhai. I don't know if you know, but Lonely Planet have a World's Coolest Jobs uh, book and alongside snake venom collector and astronaut, it's volcanologist. So please tell me, what does a volcanologist do? Can you tell me about your average day and the purpose of your work? I can tell you what the average volcanologist whose name is Holly does every day. And I guess because... The role that I have with Te Papa Atawhai is, is, is advisory. So really it's around recommending um, what are some appropriate decisions relating to visitors accessing uh, the volcanoes and sites within Tongariro National Park. So what I would typically do on a day, and I go, this really uh, will speak to the geek inside. So... A lot of it is reviewing, understanding, researching the evolution of our mountains. So I don't do the work like that. I will um, utilise the work that researchers from universities have done to inform the decisions that uh, I will be advocating for for our decision makers. So that's kind of one part. Another part that I like to do quite regularly is also to incorporate uh, the te ao Māori side of who Holly is and so um, and I utilise those kind of uh, they're not frameworks but they are po in my fare so that I know who I am I know which research I need to lean on I know how to be Māori in a science kind of world which is sometimes not as easy uh, to be your full selves and so I utilise those kinds of resources to support me to do my work that's awesome. Are you the only volcanologist at DOC? I am. Wow. Lonely, isn't it? <laughs> the responsibility. It's insane. So um, kind of by observation, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of wahine Māori volcanologists. Do you find that your perspective is pretty unique in the field? Yeah, I think being Māori, you know, that is, you, you, you bring something different to the table when you're in an environment with other scientists. I think also being a woman and who's Māori, who is a volcanologist, uh, you know, you bring a collection of perspectives and experiences to the table that, you know, men don't have or Pākehā people or people from, you know, other countries don't typically have. So I think I've learnt to, you know, lean on those parts of myself and use that to 
inform the way I approach work and approach life generally. Do you think uh, your perspective and understanding does really affect your approach to your work? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important thing about working for the department, so working for Te Papa Atafai and really leaning into how to be, you know, how does the department be an active and very good treaty partner to Iwi Māori? And so having the capabilities and the pūkinga that I had naturally through, you know, just being Māori and growing up in the environment that I did, I think that in itself is a, is, is very special and it's not something that I, it's not something that I favour, like, um you know, a conference that we held at the start of the year in Rotorua. So we didn't hold, sorry, I attended, but it was a, a collection of international volcanologists that met in Rotorua for a week at the start of this year. And I was asked to speak at the opening ceremony. And, you know, that's like 800 people who know nothing, well, know nothing about Tiwi Māori. I guess majority of the, the attendees were from all over the world. And so... I took that opportunity to, you know, tell a story about who we are as Māori and how we connect to our natural landscape, particularly to our volcanoes, more so to articulate that you're coming to our special places. Um, There are a group of people throughout New Zealand that tie in and link intimately to their specific volcano or their specific mountain. And I guess I really wanted to... uh, just make sure that people were aware of how special these places are so that when they come to our rohe, they come to our volcanoes, that they you know, treat them with respect. And at that conference, would you say that that would alter the approach for geoscientists once you, once you mentioned that? I think the intention is that um, exposing them to uh, a relationship that exists between a group of people and their volcanic ancestor can help shape the way that they approach for example research so I've observed in the past uh, scientists who have come to uh, Tungarero National Park as well as the surrounds that don't encompass um, the kind of rules and that are in place with taking samples but I've observed scientists pull out their glad bag and help themselves to the whenua. Mm. And I think even just from a a Māori perspective, you're removing something from that location. You are taking that away and you are never bringing it back. And I suppose those are the things that I wanted to encourage people to just be more mindful of. That's really important. I I hope that really got across for our international um, visitors and geoscientists. Holly, you must have Many amazing field stories. I bet you get to do a lot of pretty cool stuff. Has there been a most memorable day at work? Could you tell me about? Yes, I guess the one that comes to mind is my first visit to Te Waiamui. Te Waiamui is the crater lake on Mount Nurupehu and myself and our other colleagues were accompanying some researchers who were researching the, the stability of the crater rim. And... What was most memorable about that particular day at work was how large and scary those kinds of locations can be. And I think the thing that really stuck with me is how small I felt in that environment. So, you know, you you drive down to Ho one uh, and you look at the mountain and it looks like a mountain, but once you're in the environment, the scale is really, really different. And I just felt like an ant you know, walking 
on a rock and it was quite, you know, I didn't move far from where the helicopter dropped me off and I sat there and was like, oh, you guys good? Yeah, sweet. (laughs) I will remain here until the helicopter comes back and picks me up. (laughs) Because in um, 2020 it heated and then um, cooled again, didn't it? Does that happen often? Yeah, so uh, cooling and heating cycles are typical at Te Waiamoe, and so they happen quite often. Even today, uh, the temperature, I think, is around 16 or so degrees, and it's really evident of what is happening beneath the volcano. And so the temperature at Te Waiamoe is just uh, an indicator on what is happening beneath the mountain. Now for my new favourite segment of the show, um, the questions from listeners. We had a bunch of these come in, asked on our Instagram stories. Everyone wants to know uh, lots of things about volcanoes. So I will ask you a few. Are volcanoes mountains? Yes, volcanoes are mountains, but not, not all mountains are volcanoes. And I think the interesting thing there is that how they are formed will determine whether or not it's a volcano. So if magma has erupted and formed that as a mountain, then yes, it is a mountain. Okay, that's a good good structure to understand. How many volcanoes do we have in Aotearoa? Heck, there's heaps of volcanoes in New Zealand, actually, but a lot of them are incredibly old. So we even have volcanoes in the South Island, but they're in the millions the millions of years old and possibly haven't erupted in such a long time. There are roughly eight active volcanic areas in New Zealand. Interesting. Uh, this is from a listener. I read most of Aotearoa's volcanic eruptions in the past hundred years have been phreatic. First, what's phreatic? And secondly, is it possible to predict an eruption? Mm, good, good question. So phreatic eruptions are really steam explosions that occur so heat heat from the magma or the magma interacting with groundwater or a volcanic lake can cause these kinds of eruptions so they're quite common at Mount Ruapehu and the second question was is it possible to predict yeah I think there's a difficulty there Mm-hmm. They are really hard to predict. And volcanic eruptions generally, you can't pinpoint it's going to happen at 10 o'clock tomorrow. And so in response to the unpredictability of phreatic eruptions, for example, the Department of Conservation, in partnership with GeoNet, have an established eruption detection system on the mountain to, I guess, mitigate that particular that particular eruption style. Can you tell me about the volcanic alert level system? So the volcanic alert level system is a mechanism that helps people understand the level of unrest at the volcanoes in New Zealand. So unrest is really described through three levels, starting at zero, inferring that there's no volcanic unrest occurring at a mountain, at a volcano. Level one, volcanic alert level one, uh, infers that minor unrest is present at that volcano Level two is moderate to heightened volcanic unrest. And then, so we're moving from unrest through to eruption. And so eruption also has three scales, uh, starting at three, which is a minor or smaller eruption. That really means the eruption hazards that occur at that volcano are kind of located around the vent. And as the eruption sizes increase, it really scales up. Okay, 
And instead of just asking the expert on the podcast, how can I find out myself if there is likely to be a volcanic eruption in, say, the Banks Peninsula where I live? Good question. I think the best location to go for any information about volcanoes, particularly around the monitoring side, GeoNet has a website as well as an app. And so GeoNet are responsible for monitoring natural hazards around the country. So their website as well as the app has, you know, a a myriad of information from earthquakes, landslides through to volcanoes. It's a great place to go to help grow your understanding of our country. Fantastic. We in Canterbury use GeoNet a lot. Now, DOC has three visitor accessible volcanoes on public conservation land. All three are in Tongariro National Park, which is your whakapapa and your expertise. Is that right? It is, yes. Now, specifically talking about visitors, what should people do before they go on a walk in Tongariro National Park? Being informed around the level of volcanic unrest, particularly at our volcanoes within Tongariro National Park, is probably a good place to start. Other ways that you can source data, the Department of Conservation has a website that discusses volcanic risk management and that has a lot of good information on how we actively uh, mitigate volcanic risk to the public. So visitors can't learn uh, if something's going to erupt from our website, but what you can find out is how to be prepared for going out into the wilderness and to know before you go, know where you're going. Um, But there is no chance of mitigating volcanic eruptions to zero. Is that right? So the Department of Conservation cannot mitigate volcanic risk to zero. That's correct. And so how we manage the the risk that's left over per se is that we have an eruption detection system on our mountains and so that informs us of an eruption. But aside from that, we have, uh, I guess, processes and systems in place that allow us as the team that manages those locations to make the appropriate decisions around whether or not sites can be accessed or not but I guess for the visitor who is visiting our locations being informed around the current level of unrest understanding that they are coming to visit an active volcanic landscape is probably a really good thing to know and interestingly Mm. not many people know that it's a volcano or that there are volcanoes in Tongariro National Park. So if people are Going out recreationally around active volcano sites, there there is the possibility of having no warning around an eruption. Does that sound right? Yes. So eruptions can happen at our volcanoes within Tongariro National Park with little to no warning. And I think that really articulates the, the power of our volcanoes and how prepared we need to be when we are accessing uh, our tracks in Tongariro National Park. Absolutely. So always be aware that that's the kind of um, ecosystem that you're around. Yeah. And I think just being really vigilant around, you know, we're here walking on uh, an active volcanic landscape. How do I keep my wits about me? That leads me on to how do I keep my wits about me? What is the best way to protect yourself during an eruption? Because eruptions can create uh, a number of different volcanic hazards or volcanic phenomena, understanding perhaps the behaviour or style of an eruption at the particular volcano you're visiting might help inform you how to be prepared. For example, Mount Ruapehu is known for its lahar, and so lahar are volcanic mud flows that flow 
particularly down the Whangahu catchment, which is on the uh, northeastern side of Ruapehu. Understanding that that is a, a phenomena you may encounter if you're traversing in that location, knowing that if I hear the sound of boulders crashing, you know, please do not stay within the base of those riverbeds, move to higher ground, get yourself out of the valley and move to higher ground. So that's probably the best way you can be prepared uh, if you ever encounter a laha. For the likes of ballistics, which are rocks that are thrown out of the mountain of the volcano during an eruption, the safest way to respond will be if you can find a rock to shelter behind, use your pack if you have one and use that to cover your head facing away from the mountain to keep yourself safe. So those are kind of uh, ways that you can help protect yourself. But what I will say is that the closer you are to any volcanic vent, the higher the consequence. That makes sense. Now, a, a laha channel, in my head, that looks like, you know, in a film, there's lava coming down the mountain. Is that what that is? A laha is a volcanic mud flow. So think of it like a mixture of water, volcanic debris, rocks. And so it sometimes has a consistency like concrete and it varies and it's depending on how much water content it has. That's really like a, a large flood that has the potential to cause a lot of damage, but also has the potential to carry so many large boulders right from the top of the mountain down the landscape. Is it hot? Not necessarily. Oh, um, okay. And I guess it will depend, you know, how we, we talked about uh, the temperature cycling at Te Waiamoi, which I guess if we look at a typical temperature range that we experience at Ruapehu might be between 12 to 15 degrees at the lower end and 40 degrees at the higher end. But irrespective of the temperature of the crater lake, uh, it's mostly cold. Maybe at other volcanoes, I'm not too sure if that means that they might be hot, but hmm. Now, as Doc's only volcanologist and with such wonderful connection uh, to this role, you must have many career highlights. Would you mind telling us about one of them? I will. I've talked about it earlier. Um, one of the experiences that I have that, while it's not particularly something that I enjoy doing, I, you know, the opening ceremony at the IFSA conference in Rotorua was probably quite memorable because it provided me with an opportunity to share more about who I am and the importance of being Māori working for Te Papa Atawhai at the location that, um, uh, you know, I'm so privileged to be able to work at. And even though public speaking, you know, it's really something that I have to learn. I have to learn to get used to. And I think saying yes to things like that just helps me grow individually as well as represent both, you know, Te Papa Atawhai and my people better when I can tell the stories that I can tell. I've heard someone say before uh, it's, it's the cause is bigger than your ego. So if you're stressed and nervous about something, it doesn't matter because you have to advocate for it. Um, but it's never easy. It sounds like really bucket list stuff. Uh, segwaying into maybe not so bucket list stuff, what has been your strangest day at work? I've had some strange days. But one of the, I wouldn't call it strange. It would just be another experience that helped me to grow and so when I say helped me to grow it means that it was a little bit on the scary side of life so previously 
when I started with the department, I was in secondment and I used to follow Harry Keyes around. And so for the listeners that know Harry Keyes, he's a specialist on volcanoes and on ice. And so we had the opportunity, myself and my colleague Theo, had the opportunity to head up on Ruapehu uh, to the summit plateau and explore some of the ice caves up there. Uh, again, it's like my memorable experience up at Te Waiamoe and I think it was just really, you know, I sat there and was like, oh, you know, I'm really scared. I don't know ice. I don't know the mountains. I'm not a mountain climber. But it was really cool to be with someone who knew how to do this, who led the way, who allowed me time to be comfortable. And, you know, we got to explore the glacier on the top of the mountain. It was really, really cool and scary. And then we walked down <gasps> and it was hard. <laughs> oh, that does sound hard. Oh, wow. That, that sounds quite scary, especially if you don't know the terrain, know the ice. Oh, it's just new experiences, I think. Yeah. Hey? And being okay with being uncomfortable, but also having confidence that you're with people that know what they're doing. Yeah, and trusting in the science. Mm. Okay. <laughs> we've heard about bat nipples. We've heard about mucus being shot as a defense mechanism. What is your favorite weird and wonderful nature fact? So I guess when you're when you're a child and you explore what volcanoes are, you typically draw your mountain oruhoi and you draw lava, you know, lava flowing down the side of the mountain. And that's our uh, understanding of what volcanoes are and how eruptions occur. So I was talking to one of my friends a while ago when I was doing my master's around volcanic phenomena, and I remember her saying, oh, my gosh, is there lava, lava everywhere? And so we've already learned that, you know, phreatic eruptions don't necessarily include um, or expel lava from the mountain, but they are, you know, they're a steam explosion. So those are interesting facts for me to help people understand that not all volcanic eruptions are your typical from a beautiful picturesque mountain where lava just flows down, you know, down the sides of the mountain. So I think helping people understand that eruptions and volcanoes are actually really complex. They have their own typical behaviours and once you learn about them, you know, you get to know them a little bit more, you get to know their their likes and dislikes. <laughs> and that it's not just the stereotype lava yeah. coming down a mountain. I don't we... know if that's a, an interesting fact, but it's interesting that, you know, people's observations of volcanoes are just that, eh? Well, yeah, and as soon as you scratch the surface, you start learning about them, that that's mm. not all it is. I would say that is a holy crap fact. There's heaps, eh? Like, volcanoes are weird, you know? Do you know about lahar? I mean, we've learned about what, what lahars are, and the interesting thing about lahar, specifically at Mount Ruapehu, is that they don't always occur with an eruption. Right. I was looking into that and it was like five years later or something. So the Tang Tangiwai uh, disaster is an example yeah. of a laha occurring without an eruption. And so for that specific uh, event, the eruption of 1945, much like the eruptions of 95, 96, really just deposited uh, volcanic material on the crater rim and created like a dam, a dam of water that you know, eventually was released later on down the track. So so with that, the, the eruption's done, it's, you know, five years ago or whatever, and then uh, the Tungiwai disaster was that that train going along and the lahar yeah. suddenly exploded. That's what happened. Yeah. Is it? Explode is probably not the right word, but the, the dam broke and the water flowed uh, down the mountain. Uh, so is there any way um, that, that we have learnt since 
those days to predict a post-eruption laha? Absolutely. And so the event of the Tangiwai disaster informed our response to the laha that occurred on the 18th of March 2007. And so, you know, I think one of the key things about our role, well, the role that I hold in our predecessors is really understanding the history and the lessons there so that they can inform how we respond to those kinds of events in the future because it will happen again. There are lots of lessons to be learned with eruptions. Definitely. What's something about volcanoes that blew your mind when you learned it? So when I was 10 and living in Taupo, I learned about the mana and the power of a volcano through our korowa, our kororua pehu erupting and being at school at Taupo Primary School and, you know, seeing the sky black. You know, those are things that not many people around New Zealand probably experience if you weren't alive or living in Taupo or other locations during that time. You know, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to witness. Yeah, and probably quite formative for you as well. Did that make you go into this career path? Yeah, interesting. So I have a a story that I'll say all the time. So my mum is someone who keeps everything so all our books and all our you know all our pictures that we you know drew as kids and I have a I have a volcano picture of the a picture that I drew when I was I don't know 10 11 12 and I use it in some of my presentations to articulate you know this event you know these series of eruptions that occurred at that time helped me I guess subconsciously to love science, love learning about volcanic eruptions, love understanding volcanoes. And I remember writing something like, I want to be a volcanologist when I grow up. And so those are the the little cool gems that exist in, I guess, my upbringing. And my mum's real cool because she keeps stuff like that. And then when, you know, I came over to Te Papa Atifai, she reminded me uh, that that's something that I had actually wanted to be when I was younger. Oh, good on you, mum. Thanks for saving it. Yeah, she's cool. Holly, what's your public service announcement or kind of call to action reminder for the public as weather starts to maybe warm up and more people are getting out into nature? I think preparation is key. Making sure, first and foremost, you are dressed appropriately for the track or hike you are accessing. Uh, Making sure you have enough food and water, sunscreen, and that you have everything on you in the event of weather turning particularly, and having fun. Uh, Holly, I could talk to you all day, but I am not allowed to because you uh, need to go and give your expertise around volcanic risk for Aotearoa. Uh, So unfortunately, we have to end this episode, but what an episode, what amazing insight you have given. Thank you so much for for taking your time. I feel like we've learned so much about volcanic history and the work being done now. Um, I can probably look at the Banks Peninsula and tell you that it's two extinct volcanoes, not a caldera like I thought it was this morning. Um, Thank you so much for being here with us. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Erica. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Erica Wilkinson, and this has been the Doc Sounds of Science podcast. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can stream it off our website, doc.govt.nz. This show is produced by Jane Ramage with editing by Lucy Holyoke. If you enjoyed this episode, show us some love with a five-star rating.